Hello. And welcome to this mini-sode of the Modernist Podcast. As ever, my name is Sean Richardson, and I'm a PhD at Nottingham Trent University. This mini-sode, I sit down with Elena Serres from University of Victoria to talk about creativity, colonialism, and conferencing. I met Elena at the Indigenous Modernisms panel at the Modernist Studies Association conference this year in Columbus, Ohio. Her paper was engaging, funny, intellectually stimulating, hearty, and something to really, really continue thinking about. I'm really grateful to Elena for taking time out of her schedule, which is a busy, busy conference, to talk to me, and I hope everyone at home enjoys this as much as I did. Thanks very much to everyone listening, and here on we go. So we're at the MSA, and I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Awesome, sure. You that. Excuse me. I'm excited to be here. Um, my name is Elena Sayers. I'm from the Hoopachesset and Alexander First Nations. Both of those are within the Canadian state. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Hoopachesset is part of the larger New Channels Nation on the, on the west coast of Vancouver Island. And then um, Alexander was in Cree from Treaty 6 territory in Alberta. Great. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we should probably currently say that at the moment at the conference we are actually on uh, Native American land, aren't yeah. we? Yes. Yeah, we are. So, you know, I always tell people that no matter where you are, you are on native land, right? Mm-hmm. And I always tell people you should go figure out, you know, where you grew up, what was, what was the history of the land there. And so I have to admit that, you know, in looking to see which indigenous peoples, you know, are from this land, it was challenging. And yeah. so what I was able to come to find is that it was Algonquin speaking peoples were here, such as the Delaware and the Miami, and they were forcibly removed from these lands. Yes. And they went to different, all different directions, including up into Canada. Yeah. And so that history is important here. So that's why, you know, there's not many indigenous presences, you know, like coming from the West Coast where there's very much visible indigenous art, not to say that things are better there, but that there is more of an indigenous presence, there isn't anything like that here, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, like back home in Canada, they do at the very least territory acknowledgements and mm-hmm. where they bring in community members and things like that. But here there's not the equivalent of that, you know, so I think that history continues to go on to be erased. And so that's why I started my talk yesterday with talking about, um, some of the very brief history that happened here and you know saying that there's a lot more that you know we need to go out there and figure out how we can learn that history and then make it a part of our everyday lives and you know into the academic culture so that we're aware of this history wherever we go you know because we're on indigenous land so what's the history there it's a responsibility on us and you know I'm kind of glad that this is an example because you know it's not this information isn't easily accessible right so what do we do right so that's what I was able to find about you know where we are here and just the fact that it's named Columbus yeah yeah (laughs) yeah of of course yeah 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 (laughs) absolutely of course so it's a massive privilege for us all to be here and to be able to speak at this conference um, and so the reason we're here is because your paper was so fantastic yesterday. Um, and like you were just like such a breath of fresh. You were so funny as well. Like I, and like I always really engaged with that. So can you tell like uh, the listeners what um, your work is on? Like what do you work on? Yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> know. I think that I feel like there should be more humanness in academia and the scholarship, right? You know, I don't know why we always have to you know play this such a serious role because I think you know we connect better with people that way. <clears throat> yeah. So my paper yesterday was basically talking about um, giving kind of like a very um, brief overview of indigeneity, mostly in Canada but also in America as well, and modernisms. So I'm not a modernist myself, so I was kind of looking at it from an indigenous perspective, looking at the modernist literary period. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
and kind of like my thoughts on that, which is essentially that modernism contributes to the um, uncivilized, civilized binary that has really um, haunted indigenous peoples for a really long time. And so it still continues to perpetuate that and the need for modernism, including new modernisms and global modernisms, to start with decolonization, acknowledging its role in ongoing settler colonialism in order to, to change that and you know allow for, I think, expansion in the field that really needs to come now, especially more than ever. One thing I want to talk to you about is um, your project because mm -hmm. yesterday um, they were talking about the distribution of your project being right. kind of traditional and non-traditional and that mm -hmm. really excites me because like I, I love people playing with form and making it more expansive and could you tell people about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my dissertation, you know, in order to meet like academic requirements, it's going to be written, so it'll be a regular written dissertation. But then there's also going to be the physicalized version of it, which is the most important one to me. I'm going to only do the other one because I have to. And so this one, I really want to break beyond the form and the bounds that people know how to engage with scholarship. Right? I really want to push that and talk about the legitimacy of written work and why we need dissertations, why we need such formal structures. You know, especially when you know there's not everybody <laughs> is able to work within those bounds and be successful at that, right? I feel like it really limits the amount of knowledge and people able to access and participate in the creation of knowledge. Mm. Um, so that's what I really want to do is to um, disarm people and make them step outside of themselves and how they understand knowledge and also to put the responsibility upon the reader because it really and what's really important to me is positionality people understanding the positions the privileges that they carry as well as the ways that they're oppressed and how that impacts them and their scholarship their ability to access it produce it and what they do with it so are you actively aware of your role in the ongoing, you know, um, so in colonial states, your roles in that, your ongoing complicitness in colonialism? So my idea is to put all my research together, and I haven't necessarily figured out how I'm going to do this yet, but allow for it to be movable. So I'm calling them Newtonal's Literary Transformation Masks because every single person who comes to read it or engage with it, you know, <laughs> I don't exactly know what I want to call the person yet, but they're going to rearrange it in a way that makes sense to them. Perfect. And so they could come back, you know, a few times and it'll change every single time. Because I want to talk about, you know, indigenous knowledge, it's not linear, mm -hmm. right? It, it it moves, it grows, it shapes, you know, and especially with context, with person, it varies, right? And so I really want to bring that into my dissertation. And for people to learn um, about it at different time and just to show that something can be looked at in a multitude of ways, yeah. right? So it's going to be movable, it's going to be flexible, and I haven't exactly figured out how it's going to look yet, but it will be on display, which I'm really excited for. There's a couple galleries in Victoria that have been interested in it and I actually just curated an exhibit um, at one of the local galleries with a couple other indigenous people. Oh brilliant, yeah, what was, was that on? Um, so it was about, it was on indigenous prints, it was from a specific period which I think was the early 1900s and anyway so we each curated a section of um, the gallery and what I did with mine was I wanted to continue with this um, idea of what knowledge looks like, right? And so I took prints from my area in Utahnals and I showed kind of like from the originals all the way to the current and to see just how they've changed but I asked people to look at it as what if each of these was a chapter of my dissertation That's and cool. I asked people to think about it like that so how would you look at this painting differently mm. right because to me there's layers of you know history and culture and story within these paintings right that carry so much that I don't think we are always able to see mm. you know or interpret it that way just to get people thinking about that about the ways that we can Things can be academic <laughs> without needing to be, you know, formalized via writing. But they can come through poetry. They can come through art. They can come through a lot of different things, yeah. right? And I, to me too, I just really think that putting humanness into knowledge production, like it doesn't need to be so. 
hierarchical, you know, because <laughs> and even as myself, like I always have a hard time seeing myself as an academic, right? I always say I'm an artist masquerading as an academic, mm -hmm. you know, just because I feel uncomfortable in that definition, you know, because with indigenous knowledges, we... <clears throat> don't see knowledge as, you know, something that's consumed or produced, you know, for in like a capitalist um, society, you know, it's it's a sharing, it's an understanding of our world and it's community minded, mm. right? So academia is very, you know, individualist in nature and that's, for me, it's important to always make my work accessible to everybody yeah. at all levels, right? So academics understand it and everybody in between, you know, all my mm. family, my grandparents to be able to understand it, to know what I do and to be able to engage in it. Mm. So that's what's specifically, you know, important to me in my form as well, the yeah. form of my dissertation that I'll take. So you're a poet as well, aren't you? Yes. Um, so does that kind of like, because you're saying so many like things about uh, accessibility and things, and I think poetry is such an accessible form. Like, yes. So does that kind of like riff with your academia and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've done a lot of poetry. I gave a talk actually recently. So it was um, poetry is an approach to decolonizing theory. Yeah, I did that. And so like kind of like my basic premise of that talk was that um, throughout, you know, a <laughs> long period of time, writers of color and indigenous people, you know, weren't able to be published, whether it was in literary forms, whether it was in academic forms. And so eventually literature was one of the areas that they were able to be produced earlier on. Right. So to me, there's a large collection of knowledge in literature that was people writing as witness to what was going on in different areas because there's some areas that are so regionalized to the ex specific experiences that happen there and so I tell people to look to poetry to what it can teach us right and even in this form like <laughs> I would describe poetry as stripped down you know every single word on that page it matters it it speaks volumes because it was included in there for a reason right where I always find that in academic papers you know I always get lost in all the words you know I'm like why is, right I'm like you know maybe I'll take away four you know four words from this entire page right yeah. but why do you need all of those things so I really like you know poetry because it makes me think specifically and put more intention behind each word that I choose yeah. right so figuring out specifically what it is I'm trying to say and I'm really big fan of the short poem because I like to have something that's able to you know on the day we're all busy people have a lot going on that somebody can consume in a moment in just a few lines mm -hmm. right an experience that can happen to them right yeah. and so you know I do everything from like political a lot of love yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know and and just in different forms and then I like to do it in my own work as well um, in my master's thesis actually I took poems from theories so like Banan and um, other <clears throat> excuse me writers and I turned them into poetry so and then I had them up <clears throat> on a wall all next to each other so it was their words directly quoted but I just yeah. rearranged them differently on the page it's just like a cut up yeah, yeah, yeah and so people you know it was they were wondering why there was something familiar about the work but they couldn't always place it that's right? so great, yeah. And it was because of the form that it's it, it threw them. Yeah, yeah. Right? That they couldn't understand, you know, why they didn't engage with it similarly when it's in a, you know, quote on a page instead of poetry on the page and yeah. all over the page, right? So I really like poetry as a form because I also think it fights those linear bounds as well. Yeah, Audre Lorde says something like that in yeah. about poetry being like a, a, a form that working class people can write very, very, very quickly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, oh my god, that's so great. Uh, so in your talk <laughs> yesterday, we, you were talking about uh, living on a reserve mm -hmm. and you wanted to, you want to stay there um, after you finish your PhD, like many people want to stay in their homes. And yeah. there's something very specific, I think, about academia's impetus to need to move, which mm -hmm. is really, really difficult and um, in, in for different, in not thought of intersectionally, I don't think. Cause yeah. Would you mind speaking about that? Absolutely. You know, like I think it, you know, not only affects Indigenous people, but a lot of other people, right? Because, you know, in academia, there's an expectation that you'll go somewhere different for your undergrad, your master's, and in Canada, at least that's the structure in Canada. You know, especially, you know, to go out of the country, like that's just, you know, <laughs> it's something that is helpful for you in your academic career. But to me, I also don't think it takes into consideration that, you know, it's ableist and classist and also racist, right? Because, really? you know, especially for somebody who struggles with mental health issues, you know, I have PTSD, I have myself 
support system here, right? I have all these networks that allow me to be successful as a student. And if every couple of years I have to get uprooted, move and create those things all over again, you know, it's not going to allow me to be successful at my work. Yeah. I really think that, you know, academic culture needs to change in that respect. Mm -hmm. You know, so I did, I grew up on a reserve, a small reserve of 200 people at the time. We're now up to 300 uh, on Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada. And um, so in Canada, we're also very unique. We have a large number of smaller nations in the province, yeah. you know, whereas other ones, there's bigger, <laughs> bigger numbers. So um, I grew up there and I went to school on the reserve. And I also I always make sure I mention that because it's still a very racialized thing to see um, students who go to school in reserve they're not seen as equal to people who went to school in town, okay. right? And so it's always important for me to show people that you know it is possible because you know there we were immersed in our culture, our language. You know, it's what makes me such a strong academic that I grew up there. That you know um, I came up knowing first and foremost my culture, who I was, and everything else second. So I look at it through that lens, or I like to think so. Anyways, you know I know I always have my own decolonial work to do as well, but. Um, um, so for me, it's like because it's a small town, we have a small college, right? So I could technically go home and teach there, but you know, I'd really love to work with grad students, yeah. right? To be able to work and um, be able to do that. And the closest place I can do that is three hours south of me. That's where Victoria is, the capital of British Columbia, and um, to be able to work there. So in my department currently, there is no Indigenous professors, <laughs> and I will be the first Indigenous student to graduate from there. Oh, cool. So, you know, it's definitely also, you wouldn't think so, but paving a lot of, <laughs> paving the way for other students to yeah. come through, right? And being the first one is always definitely hard and challenging, yeah. but, you know, just because I've also spent so much time there, I've built community there, I've built so many relationships with people that, you know, I think that all of those things would allow me to be a good professor there, yeah. right? Because then I know all the resources for students because I was a student there, right? Yeah. Especially for, you know, students of color and everything else, like, you know, so to me, I, I feel like that's something that should be taken into consideration and be seen as a value. Yeah people want to remain there instead of you know them not wanting to keep their own yeah and um, I like so uh, I have two more questions for you actually so the first one is yesterday you spoke very articulately and um, it spoke to me in a lot of ways I've been thinking about your talk a lot about um, kind of decolonizing our practice and things like that and mm -hmm. um, how how do you what does that mean to you and how do you see that working for right. kind of just generalized academia really Awesome. Well, like I always say decolonization is for everybody. You know, it's not just something that's indigenous. You know, so wherever it is that you're from, you know, always ask yourself, well, what's the history of that place? You know, with, when it comes to, you know, within North America and other colonial states like Australia and um, New Zealand, it's I always ask people, okay, so um, you're not from here. You're not indigenous from here. So how did you get here? When did your family get here? How did they get here? Right? What's the history of yourself here? And being able to position yourself, right? Because we all find ourselves in these positions, you know, that <laughs> things that happened in the past. But you know, there's I can't remember who says it now. But someone who says, "Are your ancestors built systems?" But you doesn't mean you need to continue them. You can dismantle those, right? So we all have work to do in that respect. Yeah. Excuse me. And so I think, you know, especially like if you're coming from a place like the UK, which has a very large colonial history, right? It's like, so how is that part of the national identity? You know, is that taken into consideration in the work that is done, mm. right? You know, so like in one of my classes that I took as an undergrad, you know, you have to look through poetry from this, from specific time periods. And so what I did was I tracked the colonial imaginary through it. So, you know, this idea of, you know, um, the exotic, you know, barren lands out there, you know, just for the pillaging and have, um, logics really change that much in how things are viewed, right? So decolonization can happen everywhere because, you know, what is our country's current positions in other countries that might be forcing people to have to flee from their homelands, right? And why isn't that taken into consideration in our work that we do in any field, right? I think so, you know, even just... <laughs> 
money that comes into our countries, where is it coming from? How did it come to us in order for our systems to run? Yeah. Right? And so decolonization is such is such an important thing and I think it's where we should begin. And especially here in North America, I say it should be the first thing that should be done. Because even in some communities of color, it's not also something that's done in their yeah. analyses and their collectives because everything is on indigenous lands. Yeah. Right? And there's a lot of areas where um, the history still remains um, there's a tension there, you know, because of how things were done and it needs to start there because in North America, so colonialism, it's all about the land. Who owns the land? Yeah. Right. You know, so there's, you know, like where I'm from, we believe that we still own the land. We never signed a treaty, you know, and so for me, I would tell people to build up from that. What does it mean to be on lands that aren't settled? The legal title that isn't settled, right? Especially, yeah. you know, maybe according to colonial law, they think it is. But, you know, what's the real history here? Yeah, and how does that impact and affect everything that we do on here? Yeah. Right. Like I always say that I'm a trespasser on Coast Salish territories in Victoria where I go to school. You know, I'm there to, you know, further myself and my career. So I'm exploiting their lands, you know, contributing to the colonization of the people in the lands just by being there right mm -hmm. so I always try and bring that into my own work as well yeah. so what does this mean for me to be here to be doing that to contributing to that while I'm trying to do decolonial work but then also just my presence and being on that land is contributing to something else right and I don't have a response to that to what it looks like but just that we all find ourselves in this <laughs> in this present where colonialism has happened a lot of you know bad things have and continue to happen and so what do we do about it mm. right what can we do for ourselves as a collective group of people you know to bring that in and a big thing I always tell people too is to just honestly start to hold other people accountable for racism for all of these things right or to just ask the basic questions you know whose voices are included in this and why right like I was in a lecture the day I looked around and I was the only person who visibly wasn't white yes. right so even just things like that right they become so naturalized and normalized is questioning these assumptions right why yeah. are they assumptions why do we see the world the way that we do and why are we so resistant to take these in things into consideration yeah, right and so that's what you know a lot of my work does just personally and professionally is what does that look like yeah. right so you know because there's like a vast <laughs> array of indigenous voices as well so how do I you know include those not exclude those and continue you know these um, colonized understandings of things so mm. it's just for me it's just constantly you know checking myself checking in with myself to making sure that I feel like I'm being a responsible scholar and taking that upon myself right which and I always tell people if you have the opportunity to say no then that's a position of privilege yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. that you get to say no yeah. Um, yeah, and I thought it was such a moment of like recognition yesterday um, when you when you just said to the room we're all complicit here at this conference, and that's yeah. such an important thing to recognise. Um, I have one more question for you. Awesome. Um, my last question is um, where where would you like to academia going? And this is kind of a very general question, but mm -hmm. like where, where where what would you like to see happening? I ask everyone this in the podcast all the time. So yeah. for you, what does that mean? Like where would you like to see academia heading? Awesome. Well, you know, like I think that <laughs> academia is you know one of the arms of you know. <laughs> colonialism and imperialism, right? It creates realities, mindsets, understandings, worldviews, all of these things, right? So it's been used to create these empires around the world, but I think that it can also be used to do the opposite. It can be used to undo these things, right? But because they're so deeply embedded, because these structures exist to do the exact opposite, until we begin to dismantle those things and change things, nothing's ever going to change, right? And I also think that while we dismantle things, we also need to be creating things. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of us out there from, you know, everywhere in the world that want to... It, 
um, be different with each other, that want to be able to understand each other and not be com complicit in ongoing colonialism to change that, to change the thing for everybody. You know, it's Memi who says that um, most settlers don't want to, they might be okay with the idea of decolonization, but until it means personally having to sacrifice something, right? So it's wrapping your head around that. Like, I think we need to make more spaces in the academy for people to emotionally and intellectually process what that means. So if you're here in Canada or in America and you're a settler, what does that mean? You might have a lot of feelings for it because depending on when your family came over, how long it came over for, you know, and the history that might be involved in that, it could be a really, you know, traumatic process, right? And I think we need to make spaces for that to be able to um, happen. Otherwise, I think we continue to push these things from ever being part of <laughs> ourselves and um, academic conversations just because it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. It is painful, right? But, you know, there's people out there who don't get the opportunity to not bring that, to not live it, right? And so for me, it's all about space. You know, as I said, like, I'm the only Indigenous person in my almost all-white department. You know, I think mm -hmm. there's two professors in my department who aren't white, and we have a pretty big department, yeah. right? So for me, my very existence, I think, is, you know, it's it's important, just my being there, even though it's very hard on some days to be the, the only indigenous person you know mm -hmm, yeah. is that matters so you know being able to support people who are in those positions as well as I, I think is really important and so with the academy as well like with regards to indigenous and the, ac the, the academy <laughs> there's currently debates in Canada about whether or not universities across Canada are really indigenizing and what that actually means mm -hmm. and you know most indigenous students say they're not they're just doing you know kind of like superficial things by you know oh now we have you know which is probably beneficial for them exactly to, to look right? like they're doing things they're not doing exactly yeah. so it's like okay well maybe you added this but it, you didn't change anything else right you know so there's no you know supports on campus for racism for you know and especially like you know at my university the people who head up all of the like the human rights places or the complaints offices are white people right who I don't think always understand the you know microaggressions and the passive-aggressive violence that happens right yes. that you know when it adds up it's a really big thing and it's a yes. really hard traumatic thing so I think you know resources for students to be able to be successful and for me you know I had to fight really hard every step of my degree yeah. you know that I've never had to witness any of my other fellow PhD cohort think cohorts have to do and you know it shouldn't have to be that way for all this additional labor and you know especially for you know um, people of color around the world that um, the burden is placed upon us to be, you know, it's, it's a very it's talked about thing to be voices of our, our race, yeah. right? And so just switches like that where white isn't the norm needs mm -hmm. to happen in the academies, you know, around the world. Mm -hmm. And just I think what our goal is for all of these things. Yeah. And, you know, even just for me, like the idea of conferences, you know, I'm just like, what are we getting out of these where people talk at us, right? Instead yes, of engaging with each other. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's why like, it's yeah. exhausting, yeah, you know? it's really tiring. And that's why I'm like, what else can we do? And I'm really excited, you know, kind of like about the next generations of scholars that are coming mm -hmm, up you know like yeah. you and me because i feel like you know we want to make room to for each other to be successful for mm -hmm. to support right especially you know there's quite a number of people who you know have mental health things that we also have yeah. to overcome in order of to course, achieve you know yeah. our academic dreams yeah. right and how can we you know more actively support that right yeah. instead of having having all these rigid you know old academic expectations what can we change like i think in academia would be nice to think about dreaming you know what would we want what could academia look yeah. like right yeah. you know like honestly like if i could you know have my way I'd be able to go home to my community and be able to open up but you know um university so yeah. from like k to 12 and then university and be able to be there so it would be you know with community engagement it would be right there it would be bringing in elders community members other people to teach right mm. so it would be learning our ways along with western academic ways so yeah. that people could choose to be successful in whichever world or both worlds that they wanted to be right yeah. being able to be there on the land and allow for people to 
um, share their knowledge in a way that works best for them, yeah. right? Because not everybody can sit down and write papers, right? But it also doesn't mean that they aren't intelligent, that there isn't things that they want to share. They have gifts, and we should be able to make space for that in the academy, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I just, thank you so much, and like, thank you for the generosity of your critique and sitting down with me, and it's it's been, like, your pay. I, I can't stop thinking about your paper, it's amazing. So, <laughs> thank you. And thank you for your creativity and all of that. It was really, really fantastic.